This extra video here with Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Jason Damata. Hello. For Boston Speaks Up listeners, this is a special podcast for me because I get to introduce the Boston community to my my best friend, my mentor, my, my eye contact, my my cohort. Shit I'm like staring at him right now. My cohort in arms. Uh, but Jason Damata is the the founder and CEO of Fabric Media, and um, yeah, it's really great to have you in Boston today because you're you're from Hyde Park. You kind of grew up in Denver too, and you you love Boston. Um, yeah, I'm from actual Boston. You're from actual Boston. Actual Boston. It's kind of fun. Why, why don't you tell listeners how we met? I, I played for the BNBL, the Boston Neighborhood Basketball League. That's when it occurred to me that it was cool that I'm actually from Boston. Um, oh, yeah. Meeting you is great. Uh, I'm on a – it was a huge storm. It was around Easter, right? What I don't know what year. It was 20 – 14? 14. 2014, Easter-ish. It was like my winter storm in LA. And my brother-in-law in town, and we had gone out to the pier, and the waves were crashing all the way up on Washington Pier in Venice. Yeah. And on my way back, I stopped in the surf shop, um, and I was trying to buy some sunglasses, and there's this like guy, like first of all, interrupting me. Second of all, thinking you're so charming. And I was like, who the fuck are you? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, get out of here. I was, where are you from? He's like, Boston. And then he dropped, like, your knowledge. And I, we, you quickly got to, like, the people that, where you work, how you work, and who you work with. And, there were, and it was instantly, like, check, check, check. That's interesting. I don't meet people that check so many boxes so quickly. And then, nice. And then I remember going outside and talking. And then I remember your wife. She really had to pee. Being like, looking at you, rolling her <laughs> eyes, and you'd be like, one sack, one sack. And her being like, oh, yeah, okay. And I'm being like, sorry. I remember, I remember saying hello to you. And I think the first thing I ever said to your wife, your now wife, was, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry to keep him. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice to meet you. Your relationship with Elizabeth began with, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah appreciate that, that. That's, a, that's a sweet way to tell that story because the way I remember it is, I interrupted you. I was in, I was in fact being charming. And uh, you asked, you asked me where I was from. I said Boston. And you're like, where? I'm like, well, I went to high school. I grew up in Methuen. And you were like, that's not Boston. That's right. I grew I up in I grew up in Hot. I did say I was like, don't tell me yeah. Boston. Yeah. Well, when you don't, when you leave Boston, which I did in '94, you realize that there's Boston people from the Boston area everywhere. Like everywhere you go, they've like invaded the country, but no one's actually from Boston. Where you, I'm from Boston. Where are you from? Oh, Worcester. I'm like, you're from Worcester. Yeah. You're from Framingham. And, and it's, I know, you know, that's snotty or whatever, but I feel like growing up in Boston, being afraid of going down the street with a, carrying a basketball and knowing you might not come back with it, riding your bike somewhere and knowing you can't leave it somewhere, getting chased, getting taking the beatings. I feel like you, growing up inside Boston, comes with a certain pride and and honestly like uh and i'm sure people who i don't know how many townies are listening to this but when you grew up in boston you sort of have a certain pride about being from actual boston because you had to deal with shit and you also have a, a little bit of resentment towards people in the suburbs because like you go, you know you date girls outside boston you know like you go to these nice towns and the beautiful lawns and the nice schools and the proper english and then you go back to your neighborhood where it's like broken homes and 
you know, people stacked on each other and just tougher, harder. Yeah. And so I always kind of uh, had a little bit of an attitude about it. And a lot of it's in good fun. Like, yeah. I, like I saw Matt Damon uh, in, out one day and I was like, I wanted to go up to him and be like, hey, Matt, you're not actually from Boston. Why do they tell people that? <laughs> but now I realize like that's just, a, that's just obnoxious. And like, if you're from basically anywhere north of Rhode Island and south of New Hampshire, you're from Boston. Yeah, pretty much. They all are. Yeah. 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 And a lot of people live in uh, north in New Hampshire and Maine. They'll even sometimes claim, claim Boston. That must, that, you, you were being raised in Boston during the time period that they're depicting. And, and I, I know we've talked about this and you haven't watched the show yet, but there's a the show on um, Showtime called City on a Hill mm-hmm. that Kevin Bacon is starring in. And yeah, Boston's rough in the or like late 80s, early 90s. It was tough times. And it wasn't optimistic. It wasn't, it was very much, you know, I grew up in like a, um, my grandfather owned a deli with my father and my grandfather, my uncle in, in Reedville, actually. Not too far away from where Menino, you know, Menino was part of that community, the same parish and everything. So it wasn't bad, like wasn't like that terrible where the, the deli was, but, um, and it was nice. It was like, I don't mean to paint it as a terrible picture, but the, um, in 90, maybe everything went off a cliff and Westing, there was a Westinghouse there. And when Westinghouse was there in High Park, the, the, at lunch, like the sub shop, my grandfather owned, like the, the business was good. And then they closed it, the, they closed the factory down. And then it was kind of like everything went off a cliff. And then everybody who came in, all the customers would come in, like every single one of them, old, young, whatever, didn't matter. Times are tough. Times are tough. And so as a kid, you're third, you know, I was working at the deli when I was like 12, 13. Literally, I think I started 12 and then got behind the deli when I was 13. I started bagging. And then got to behind the deli. And everyone, how you doing? People were fucking miserable and scared. And it was tough. And I was like, growing up all throughout high school, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to high school. Like, this is going to be hard. And then, you know, you hang on, I would hang out on the streets basically at night where I lived over by, closer to where we hang out this, this complex called Georgetown, which is like the High Park, West Roxbury, um, Jamaica Plain line. And, you know, it was projects and, and, Every, you know, I hung out, I was 15, hanging out like 22 year olds, 23 year olds that couldn't find jobs, couldn't keep jobs. So my understanding of the world in Boston at that time was like hard place, got to know somebody to get a job, very closed, very, you know, you know, everyone was like, either you're in a union or you're trying to get on the cops or you got to go work for your dad or you're a criminal. You know, you got to find a hustle. And I worked with a lot of those, and I hung out with a lot of those people that were like, basically chose to be, you know, one of those things. A lot of them criminals, basically. They were like, I didn't know what else to do. And I was like, I got to get out of here. So when I left, um, I went to Catholic Memorial, went to CM, and my my counselor, I applied to schools all over the country. And he was like, where are you going? Where do you think you're going to go? And I remember that thinking like, what do you mean, where am I going? He's like, you just go to Bridgewater. Like you're not going to get into like DU and University of Denver or USC or Syracuse. He's like, what do you think? What do you like? What is all this optimism? Who do you think you are? Basically he said right. to me. And I think because my father didn't make that much money, 
and I was applying. I ended up getting in. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how. I wasn't like the best student. Anyway, um, didn't you write like a beautiful? Wasn't your essay I wrote a, a poem. poem? Yeah, my essay was a. That's right. Good job. Yeah. My essay was a poem, yeah. and it was about poetry. And it was the first poem I ever wrote, and it was like about how much I love poetry. So it's clear I was bullshitting. But I was like, poetry is a punching bag for my soul. That was the opening line. And my English teacher pulled me out and he's like, what the, what the hell is this? Who is this? Did you write this? Where'd you get this? This is before the internet. He's like, yeah. did you rip this out of? I was like, I, I promise. Like, I just wrote it. I was like, it's just easier. And it just came out. I mean, it sounded good. And people said, you got to stand out. And I was like, I'm not going to stand out with like 800 words of bullshit prose that I got to struggle through. Why don't I just express what I'm saying? And what I basically said was like, poetry is the way to kind of cope with life. You yeah. know, like you, it, it, it's a vehicle. And I think naturally I'm a, uh, like, I love playing with words and stuff. So it was, that actually, I rattled it. It was 10 minutes and I was like, I'm sending this. Who cares? I'll probably go to Bridgewater. I'll never get in. Was but that percolating in you for a while? Like it was your first poem you wrote, but it just like came out of you? Like is that totally from like earlier in your life and it was percolating for years? It was, no, like the, the poem itself was like, I actually think that, uh, I don't know how everyone, everyone operates differently, but I think for me, I can rattle a poem out of pretty much anything. It's like a rap, basically. You can just rattle, like if you, but I think what I find is you just tap your, your subconscious. So you just, you tap it and you write it down. If you just write and you let yourself flow, the structure of like a rhyme or the structure of like, it's playful, like rhyme a couple, switch over, rhyme a couple different, switch over. Uh, it, I found it to be, after that, I actually did find it to be true. What I wrote about, I wish I could find it. What I wrote about, I found it to be true later. And then I wrote like books and books of poetry and I used it to like, just help me settle down my mind or settle down myself. Anyway, there what was the question? Like, about Boston <laughs> no, in the 90s. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you answered it, it. I was actually kind of, and I was guiding you toward what drove you to Denver. Um, and I was curious, like, I mean, you pretty well explained why you felt like you had to leave Boston, but I'm curious. Well, for, you know, I, I sort of know, but for, for listeners, why Denver specifically spoke to you? And like, why do you, you know, why did you see right. out Denver? So the, one of the questions you asked me was like a word in my childhood, I put bonkers. Yeah. So back up uh, in the late, my, my father graduated High Park High in 68, went and played football in Canada Came back, got drafted, got kicked out of the army, the military, I think for doing acid, joined the hippie movement, went out and lived in the woods of Colorado, met my mother, had me in the 70s in Denver. So I was born into a, what's, what's called an ashram, which is like a spiritual community for hippies. Well, not for hippies, for people that it's a spiritual community. They actually started uh, a grocery store that became Whole Foods, mm -hmm. believe it or not. Those, and I actually met an executive of Whole Foods that had been there the whole time. And I was like, hey. I, I, I was in an ashram following Mirage and I remember Rainbow Grocer and he like stopped, put his, put his fork down, like touched my forehead and was like, are you one of the children? I'm like, yeah, I am actually. <laughs> I was like, where's my cut of Whole Foods? Because like yeah. it was a co-op. Whole yeah. Foods Wild Oats started as a co-op. Yeah. Anyway, um, so when my, when I was, you know, so I, my mother and father tried to move back here to Nantasket when I was like one, didn't work. My mother went back out to Denver. My father stayed here. They split up. And I would spend summers in Boston my whole life. And then my mother died when I was eight. But she had had another child, my sister, 
Amy, who now ironically lives in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, so I went back and lived in Boston full time, really, when I was eight years old. And after having spent every summer of my whole life in other parts of my whole life. But after and, spending more of the year with your mother. Yeah, yeah. I would, spend, yeah. I would spend the school year with my mother and the summers with my father. Like, yeah. almost like clockwork, like June to September here in Boston. And then uh, the opposite in Denver. And so I had Denver roots. I got to know the mountains. I got to know climbing. I got to know all that stuff. But my sister, my half-sister, I mean, who cares if it's half? But uh, when I graduated high school, I was like, damn. My, you know, it was 10 years after my mom died. And I, and I was like, I should, if I'm going to go anywhere, I should go back to reestablish my relationship with my sister. So that's what called me back out to Denver. And I think I was visiting when I was like 14 or 15. And I was staying with like a family friend and he gave me his bicycle and he lives in Boulder. And I was cruising around Boulder. And I, everybody, people were like happy and smiling. And like, you could have these conversations with strangers that I couldn't have in Hyde Park, you know? Right. And like yeah. there weren't, there was like an optimism and like sunshine and big sky. And it was just so alluring that I was like, once I could, I packed up my car. A buddy of mine uh, named CJ from Needham was going on a, a college and we like, I packed up my Bostonian Cougar and like, you know, we took off for the, we took off for, for Denver, like 200 bucks in my name. And uh, yeah. And, wow. I, and I, and I, and so then you went to DU and you were there, you were on the seven year pro program. But DU was tough, man. I, I had uh, my grandfather and they were like, go to school, we'll pay for your college. I was like, oh, thank you so much. And then once I got realized it was like, whatever, at that time, like 10 grand a month, a year, yeah. they it was like, here, how about just take 10 grand? So yeah, that you had, didn't to, you, last. Had to, you had to make money. So I had to make money and I, uh, I would go to school. I would go to class. People, my, my roommates used to joke. I would go to classes, and then if I could save up enough money during the semester or during a trimester, so ten weeks, if I could save up, uh, uh, it was thirty eight hundred dollars per trimester. So I think it was like thirteen, fourteen thousand. If I could save up enough money during that tri during that trimester, at the end of the trimester, I would go to the registrar's office and I would pay, and if I couldn't the grades just wouldn't matriculate. And every time I had a whole thing with my teachers where they would say like, hey, you're not showing up on the list. And I'm like, oh, we've got to sort it out. We'll sort it out. We'll sort it out. But I was a good student. I was a decent student. So yeah. I actually went to college like almost every quarter, but I didn't, you, I, you, it took me a long time because I actually- couldn't always get the credits. I couldn't, sometimes they'd be like, shit, I only got five grand. Yeah. Or I only got three grand. I'm not putting every single, I don't, like, I don't have enough money to make my- Tuition. Right. Yeah. So like when I actually, when I actually like, um, and then I took time off and I started Fabric Magazine, Fabric as a magazine. And then I started a restaurant out of that because I wanted a, a place where people could get together and yeah. share ideas and philosophies. But that went sideways. It actually went great, but the business was way more popular than I thought it would be. Yeah. Like it was much, so like it people really loved the, they loved the subs. It was a sub shop right on the DU campus. And then I like burned out and went to New York and lived there for a year and just like I had a, I had a circuitous yeah. route in college. It took me ended up coming back and finishing eight years later. It was ninety four and I graduated two thousand two. And uh, it was funny because when I went back and I was trying to put my credits together to get a diploma, I actually went and I could have bought out. I could have bought out all those classes. I had all the teachers. Every I had all the grades like um, in people's files. 
and I had a counselor that was like helping me go get matriculate those and just pay for the credits afterwards. Yeah. But I couldn't get the funding to do it. So I ended up taking like, ended up taking five years of college. It took me eight years to get a four year degree and it took five years of college to get a four years worth of credits. Mm. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, cause you couldn't always pay for the, I didn't care. I was taking like philosophy and it was fun to me. It it was awesome. My mind went like, and you were doing things like, I mean, so, so talk about why and how you started fabric magazine. So I was in a, so this is an ironic story, but I was like, you know, uh, I was, in a, I was on a drug and alcohol task force for the chancellor of DU put together this thing that was like, why is there apathy? And I would smoke at, at I, Denver University. At Denver University, with all this, it was like one of like, because I, I got in with this like teacher on health and wellness because I really liked, I was a philosophy student, so I really liked, you know, the uh, like new age thinking and, and I really, we really had an attraction with her and she was like, hey, will you join this task force? So it's me and all these like nerds, not nerds, but like typical A students yeah. that are like buttoned up. Yeah. And like I would show up and we talk about how to bring ap- why apathy existed on campus, how to fight the drug epidemic, how to get all people to be stuff. more compassionate, yeah. empathy, everything. Yeah. And it was funny because I would show up to every one of those drug and alcohol task force meetings. I would I would take a bong hit on the way over. <laughs> so I'd show up, baked out of my mind, yeah. and I'd be like, this is how you solve the drug problem. And and where we ended up was I was like, hey, look, um, the problem with apathy is you're not giving people like the the at the time the DU Clarion like the school newspaper. I'm like that doesn't represent the people. I'm like there's no place for people to be creative. I'm mm-hmm. like I know so many people. Everyone when you anybody goes to college like it's the most one of those beautiful times in human development in in modern times where you're 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 sort of just into adulthood you're being exposed to people from all over the country and you're being exposed to like what i would call like real critical thinking and real advanced notions of science and evolution and stuff they would never teach me at a catholic school like you know and all that yeah. and i was studying philosophy, philosophy so, my brain, yeah. so but there's oftentimes in that era people's minds they explode in the way that like they, they just add so much depth and knowledge and also you're cramming so much information in your brain that the stuff that comes out that's not academic that's artistic is absolutely incredible and important it's all it's everybody's coming of age expressions right which is why like even startups they they tend to skew young like vcs tend to skew young because catching that those brains at that time when they're like Oh, here's my mature take on how the world can be solved or how, you know, like it's Yeah, a, there's like there's like a nice quotient where there's high intellect and also like high optimism. Right, exactly. And you don't realize yeah. you don't you're not saddled with wife and kids. Yeah. You're not trying to be practical. Yeah. You're literally at the, at that tender moment of op, right, totally. Yeah. I'm not it's called blessed naivete. Yeah. And I was like back to the drug alcohol task force. I was like you guys aren't channeling any of that. There's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of passion and it's all sitting and this is before because when computers were basically like not right now. It was all sitting in people's drawers, it's sitting in people's shoe boxes, yeah. and it's sitting in people's basements. I was like, why don't you do have an art festival? Why don't you and I was like, I'm and I was talking about it at a bar one night, and I was like, I'm gonna start a thing, I'm gonna call it fabric, and everybody's a thread, and I was you know, I was on some philosophical tangent, and I'm like, 
everybody's got an expression. And I'm like, and you're red and you're yellow and you're green. And you pull it all together and it's a tapestry. And that's the most beautiful thing about a community. And I was, and someone was like, I said, I'm going to start a magazine with all that stuff. And I was literally just talking smack. And I woke up the next day and someone was at my door with a box of writing. And then I, I started getting pages, like people on my, I had a pager. <laughs> nice. That was like, you know, I'd call them back. And they're like, hey, I, I, were you serious last night? Or, And then before I knew it, I had 10 volunteers. Yeah. I had people giving me computers. And I was like, I guess I got to do this then. Yeah. So Fabric was a great- What year was this? 97. 96 97 and uh it was it was so then all of a sudden you had to take so then you had people get like bringing in artwork poetry writings all sorts of creative expressions philosophy about society and you had to cobble that together print a physical magazine yeah and make it make sense from an economic standpoint too to the community so we went and i um yep i put my own money in and then i also had all the all these kids all the you know do use fairly affluent it was amazing it was it was literally like uh, like i wish i could that would happen again because i'd be much better suited to handle it but like people's parents donated computers people's parents gave some money like i was like no you don't have to give money They're like no we'll pay to get extra printed so i was like we're just going to print two thousand and like then i was partnered i ended up partnering with this really like genius level kid who designed these distribution boxes out of wood where you would uh, it had underneath it, you could just drop your papers or drop your, your artwork or your floppy disk. And on the, f- on the top was a distribution. And we put them around all college campuses in Colorado, like CC, CU. And so we would drop the mag and we'd pick up all the things. And we were like, we didn't know if it was going to work, but we designed it. We built it. We, we like literally, these kids didn't want to do school. This was like a lot more interesting than school to a lot of kids too. Cause it was like real and it was like, got high, people were excited about it. And uh, it was break even, didn't make money, but it didn't matter. And um, I was too myopic to realize that like this could be a social network or this could be a good thing online because no one, before phones, no one had the, um, we didn't think about it as a website because you, you had like GeoCities or something like the web is basically email. Yeah. And it was something you checked like every week just for homework assignments or something. It wasn't really a thing. And uh, yeah. And then I wanted to take it to the next level. Oh, and then my. But it was a magnet for connectivity. The community was like just. It was a magnet. It was awesome. It was some of the best of times. There's some really talented people. This guy, James Hallquist, who I love, uh, was just instrumental. And he, it was a time. I remember the onion was starting at the same time up in Boulder. Like right, and then he sort of was went and he, he worked with both of us and he was really an anchor for us and this guy Hans Warjohn and was a really good designer and my, my girlfriend at the time but this awesome person Sarah Gross beautiful eye for artwork and you know Trey was part of it and people just had artwork and people just wanted to be part of it and um, then my, my good friend Benny B was like hey to me that wasn't enough I want I was like but my goal really like is in, like inspiration comes in the flesh when you're like together and you're, you know, and, and I already kind of seen how with the backdrop of like drug and alcohol problems 
and the backdrop of like loneliness being at the root of a lot of modern society. People are inside and they're watching TV and they're what, you know, now they're on computers yeah. and this like gaping hole of like what's happening to community at large around the country and around the world. And I had this thought that like for fabric to really work, it needs to be able to bring people together in person. So that's how we got into the, and he was like, wanted to do a bookstore and he was like, we could have gatherings. And I was like, that'll never work. We should make it a sub shop. And then it became like the best sandwiches in Denver. And it became like, we try to have like a philosophical, um, Meet uh, meetup like a, we had a philosopher come in this like renowned author came in to give a talk on like cognitive behavior and, and you know in the modern age and like he's trying to talk and someone in the background going like you want you want pickles on that meatball and it was just it, it was <laughs> yeah. like just off so yeah. that and then i burnt out of the restaurant business and bolted but that's long that's, story there but that's a great story i don't know if i told you that. i don't know if i told you the whole thing not not to that extent the um and then i didn't i didn't realize how fabric had a thread connected to the deli yeah yeah it was meant to be it yeah that's why in venice we did we did it the way we did it It was like open it up for artists open it up for comedians open it up for people who want to do seminars open it up for you know create just collaborations uh it's still a goal it's still something that i'm i think trying to figure out the economics of and how you can bring together community. And I know that's, I think why, why you're such a, a force of nature here in Boston, because you get the value of people and you get the value of like bringing people together. And, and, you know, I'm really hopeful that uh, what you're doing with Boston speaks up and what you're doing here at Windy Films and what you do in Boston is, is enabling that community. And I think it's really such an important thing. And it's, it's really needed uh, in society, like creatives need creative people, especially creative people who have, tend to have carry like some some sort of suffering, and they, they turn to artwork and or real thinkers or you know even journalists, people who truth seekers. They need a place to get together that's yeah. like just for that reason, yeah. not so they can like hook up, not so they can go get hammered and like that's fine, but the re- just to get together and like just like celebrate their, what they've made together yeah no thanks for that i appreciate that there's two things come to mind it's and it's like there's two things that i miss most about living in los angeles number one playing soccer with my brother yeah of course you know, you know you know that i just love that's just you know sacred time being an adult and playing soccer with your brother is pretty cool um and good, good group of guys that we played with um and number two is sort of like magic around the fabric studios model and like so i would like kind of and i do want to eventually i want to go back and talk about a few um a few of the businesses that you've you've helped um i think there's some interesting stories and anecdotes for like some founders in, in boston right now um but kind of fast forwarding like recent years and what we've done ar- around fabric studios in venice and specifically the venice variety show just the magic around that monthly meetup where you have like an artist painting outside and local local comedians programmed through an evening with breaks from local musicians and people just hanging out, popping in random from the community or, and just hearing about it word of mouth, like that there's magic and energy and so much light in there. And like, that's the sort of thing that the, you know, the windy films people really, really, 
you know, get it as well. And, you know, starting, like, we have a event coming up with Hub Week that will bring together a lot of artists and, and civic leaders and entrepreneurs, like specifically in like the East Boston community. Um, and so like, it's kind of cool to, to try to manifest something like that here, but it is something I particularly miss about being in LA is just the, the magic around those creative meetups. Um, and I guess that, uh, that, that may summarize it pretty well, but for you, what is it about Venice? You know, you, you, you've lived, you know, in Boston, Denver, DC, San Francisco, Vermont, Europe, Vermont where else I miss New, New York, York, Brooklyn, yeah. Brooklyn. It's a lot of really great places to live. You're like, what do you love about, and, and I know I asked you this question, like expand on what you love about Venice beach when you're raising your son in, in the area. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot to be gained from raising a, a child sure. there. So I'm curious if you can kind of speak to some of that. I do. I want to do a quick thing though, yeah. like a plug. So if what we just talked about is, is interesting to you listening, email Zach at fabricmedia.net, raise your hand and get involved. Cause I think that, you know, yeah. let's like, let's just say it right now, like the, you can't, this is, that's the thing like you can't ever give up on is keeping that, is trying to connect creative minds. Uh, because I think you, we are alike in that way that there's something special about bringing people together that are uh, following creative endeavors. Cause when you give yourself up and say, I'm going to be, a musician, I'm going to be a graphic designer, I'm going to be a comedian, I'm going to be a journalist, I'm going to be whatever, a poet, a singer. Like, A, especially in Boston, like, in like one of the way, my Boston, the Boston I grew up in, it takes a shitload of courage. Uh, there's a guy named Louis Bello out of my neighborhood. Shout out to Lou. He's a singer around town. And he's on, I see him on Instagram and I'm like, Fucking love this kid, man. Because I know what he the, the amount of like naysayers you have to overcome, yeah, and the amount of like inner dialogue you have to overcome to stand up and be like, you know what, I got I got skills, and there's soft skills. They're not like I can't hit a baseball 500 feet, and I can't you know do the things that were sort of more traditionally celebrated in most cultures in Boston of like. You know, I can fight or I can sports. It's just yeah. a sports centric town. It's a sports town. I love sports. I played sports, but those people, those artists, those community, those, those people who make things and who can't help but make things and who have the courage to create things. Um, those, those are the people that are going to help us into the future. Those are the people that need a place to go. And because it's, it's often a lonely road when you're an artist and it's a lonely road when you're, a writer and it's a lonely road. And so just, and, and like these people, they have, it, they can't help but do that. And it generally comes from like this deep wellspring of feeling, you know, like, and so getting those people together is often something that inspired me in Venice to do that in Venice. And something that I'm, I hope, uh, we, you know, you can continue to cultivate here in, in Boston. Um, why do I like Venice? Uh, you know, kind of by accident. Um, I love something. I hated LA when I first went. I was like, this is the worst place ever. You sit in traffic. And then I started going just to Santa Monica when I would visit for work. Yeah. And visit a client. We're building a live cam network, uh, explore.org. Um, 
And I was like, wait a second, there's something to this. And then, uh, you know, it's nice weather and it's beach community and it's actually not so hectic as people think. What I like about Venice specifically is the diversity um, and raising my son there. So there's literally millionaires walking around, stepping over like human feces uh, left by a homeless person. So like you can't be, you can't ignore mental, you can't ignore issues such as mental health issues. You can't- Extreme poverty. Ignore extreme poverty. You can't ignore another thing like about Venice in particular is like the blue collar people. It's a blue collar town. It's just converting basically. Where like, uh, you know, you got some working, like two, three generations of working class people that lived in a shitty neighborhood. And now they live in like in a desirable neighborhood. Kind of like Charlestown. Yeah. It's like a lot of townies still, right? But then next to like what they call the dinks. Yeah. Double income, no kids. Yeah. A little bit like that. But, it, but Venice is even more different because you get the transients um, that come out and live the dream in Venice and surf and live in their van. So I like my son. I like taking him. I like him being around that and knowing that like it, there's all these realities. And I think there's too many people. It's too, it, not that any faults of their own, but there's too many people in this country that grow up in a certain way and aren't exposed to, anything else and then they they develop these biases towards other types of people and it can and they feel threatened by these things and i think uh venice is hopefully teaching my son and uh that there are all walks of life that life isn't always a cherry that you you know that things could go a lot of different ways in life like it's good for you to see that stuff so i love i love that kind of stuff I don't particularly, I mean, the homeless thing is a big, it's, it's becoming more of a problem. Yeah. Than, than I, like, it's really gotten, <sighs> LA's got a big homeless issue, and, it, and I don't even know what the answer is, but, like, there's, like, tens of thousands of homeless in Los Angeles now, and so, like, MR Vista, where, where the art office is, there's, like, an encampment now. I don't know if I told you that. Yeah, I saw it when I was in town a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's got, yeah, and it's yeah. just getting worse and worse. Yeah. You know, it's getting harder and harder. These guys are in tents, and they live there. Yeah. It's like, I want to be altruistic, but I'm also like, what do you do when the homeless come take over your town? It's like, I'm not going to sit here and say like, I think that's great. Cause I think, it, yeah. I think it's, I think it sucks. I think it yeah. sucks being like having to step over human feces and yeah. it sucks that there's not a place for them to go. And I, you know, I don't want them. Yeah. Uh, well, where are my businesses there and making it unsafe and you know, where my mind goes from there is, well, for starters, we're certainly, we we can seek out, like, if we chose to seek out the knowledge, perhaps we could, but we, and we certainly won't in this, in this podcast discussion come even close to what the hell could help solve homelessness specifically. However, the symptoms that maybe lead to homelessness and the symptoms of the country, the socioeconomic divide like you kind of scratched in the the climate and, and like in, in the pre podcast questions I asked you about like the political climate right now and you, you called it bizarre and you kind of got into biases, you know, bias a bit. And obviously 
you know, we work in media and you've been in media for a long time. You've been in politics, been in media and politics. You worked for C-SPAN. How do you describe the political climate, but the political climate vis-a-vis media and where, you know, where is their optimism um, for addressing the types of sort of um, biased messages that are being directly targeted at like at like micro communities are on the country right now because yeah. that you could argue that's the greatest pro- like one of the greatest problems of our time is sort of just it's people getting the wrong information getting and the wrong information being qualified further as like fake information and certainly not helpful information for them to make an informed decision politically but more broadly the right information for them to create a better better outcomes for them in their life. Yeah. Right. And there's not enough, and perhaps, in, I mean, it seems to me studying media quite a bit, there's not enough media on the front lines, like you know, on television screens, although things are shifting and perhaps that can change, but like that are really, um, it doesn't seem there's enough attention or ability for enough attention to be on, types of programming and content that actually gives people an opportunity to lift themselves up. And if they're in a place like Boston was in 1994, go to a Denver because of the opportunity that exists there. Uh, it just seems like those opportunities are increasingly for like people with the means. It just seems increasingly people without the means are just kind of left to figure it out where they're at and, being fed narratives that will, you know, cause them to resent the world or others otherwise. And it's just like creating a larger divide. That was a big monologue. Um, but sort of know it scratches in the things you care about, but curious, like what, you know, where you take things there, like describe the bizarre political climate. Yeah. I mean, look, um, the, without getting overly political, myself and without getting too political i mean with respect to all people i think that it's really it's bizarre it's a complex time because when i when i um everybody comes everybody's grows up and they get politicized at a young age and so you know you grow up in a neighborhood in boston you grow up with with people that you know, there's there's racial tensions. There's there's you know uh, you have inherent biases like Yankees suck, right? Like there's yeah. inherent things that, are, and everybody has it everywhere. And so I have compassion for all sides of of this of, of the political debate. And I actually think that without going off on like crazy tangents, it's bizarre right now because you have people that are vehemently attracted to things that aren't in their interest, you know, because it feels a certain way. So like, there's a lot of people that are love the way that, uh, the way that like the Republican platform speaks to them. It's like that. And they're willing to kind of forego the fact that, the aid that their family might need is getting cut, right? Like you, you you know, and there's a lot of people that are like 
on the other side that like they love the way that Bernie's talking, but they're gonna they don't they're forgetting the fact that like it's gonna cost them a lot of money if any of that thing any of that stuff happens, you know. So I think you have this weird fight for your your heart and mind. It's compounded by major transformations in media and technology. So like when I was working at uh, C-SPAN, I traveled around the country for a while teaching media literacy, like literally doing workshops on like sound, the dangers of soundbite journalism, the dangers of not getting the whole story and the, and the dangers of corporate media basically and commercial driven media because like, you know, one of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, tragedies in my mind of modern era is climate change. I mean, that's like obvious because like it doesn't just threaten, it, it threatens the existence as we know it, human, human life and animal life and there's a mass extinction happening. And, you know, 70, 80 years ago, there could have very well been a, um, there could have been a shift away from petroleum in the auto industry and Ford bought up all the patents and squashed it. And the news media didn't, has never really operated from a place of outrage because they needed those auto dollars. They needed those gas dollars to get their messages out. And so, you know, and, and so when someone like Trump says fake news, fake news, he's not wrong about the news being uh, not telling the whole truth. He uses it as a weapon and he's to, to like defute to, to diffuse things where he's actually just lying to your face and like treating everyone like a bunch of idiots. But the truth is like, if it leads, if it bleeds, if it leads is a real problem. And like prioritizing kidnapping and molestation and stories that, 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 that draw negative, as you know, as you and I know, we've done some work on this. Negative emotions drive ratings, yeah. pain, hurt, Feelings that make you shock eight times ratings. more than the average. Yeah, we've done yeah. We've qualitatively yeah. looked at this yeah. together, right? So, like, if you look at like society, and you have you have the big there's sort of some very big milestones. Uh, when broadcast networking was the was the norm. When I was a kid, you had to turn the dial with the hand, and it was like three networks basically drove the ran the table. Uh, there was there was this presumption of America is good. Nothing's going on that's too bad. And if something bad does happen, like they really had the they really had the hearts and minds of the country in the palm of their hands. So Nixon can fall fast, right? Like Nixon steals a couple of tapes, says a couple of things, he goes down, Watergate takes him down. And because because those are primary information sources, everybody's getting them off of three networks. Cable comes, fragmentation happens. Now you got CNN running an agenda, then you got Roger Ailes creating a conservative network. Uh, and you start feeding different different spins on the truth. You're taking the truth and spinning it a certain way, and now you start to develop, you know, alternative viewpoints. No problem, that's okay. But then it starts to get really, it gets even more politicized, and more money gets involved, and big pharma gets involved, and all of a sudden you wake up and you look at society and you're like, oh my god, my community has uh, uh, an oxycotton problem. Opioids have taken over the right, you know, I've lost like 20 people growing up and it's all because of their pharmaceutical addictions. And it's not because they were weak. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's because they got, it's because this whole, this whole thing snuck up 
on yeah. on society. And so people got think like, oh, the news is is a watchdog for them, but then but it's not what it used to be. And look, I love journalists. I love media. I respect so much what they do. I'm not trying to say that there's not a lot of well-intentioned folks out there. I'm saying the system itself is not helping. So, okay, that's one flashpoint. You go to cable and, and that kind of thing. One more thing that happened that's happening now that's like a, just a different dimension of what I call bizarre, that you talked about. Now you got fragmentation of media and so people consuming media from all over the place. And you've got people that don't consume from mainstream whatsoever, that don't consume from reputable sources whatsoever. And you layer on that that people are not getting their information from algorithms, from things that are algorithmically gamed, Facebook especially, where their job is to, if they find a niche, they help you scratch it. And and so they'll turn like a little thing into a passion point for you because it's like these platforms are literally created to make you come back for more and they're smart enough to know that uh, that there's a that there's a, a rhythm. Sorry, that there's a there's a, a formula to make you addicted, and they, they know that it's connected to emotions, and so they go watch next time on Facebook. They'll hit you with a little. They'll tickle you. They're like, oh, look at your family. Then they'll show you someone that you might you might have known you known when you were younger, and oh, a little nostalgia. Then they'll hit you with something that's like outrage. And then they'll hit you with an, and so it's like this cocktail. It's an addictive cocktail. Well, guess what? If you click outrage, next time you come on Facebook, you got, instead of three family and one outrage, you got two outrage and two family. Pretty soon, click on those two, pretty soon you got one family and three outrage. And so you're just building outrage, right? And the fucking Russians knew that. And corporations know that and the governments know that and so you have a mess so you have huge swaths of people that are like like never mind politics that think the world is flat yeah like the flat earth is called a movement now yeah are you freaking kidding me yeah right so like we probably don't have anybody listening now because like shut up I don't want to hear about this stuff but like so to me you asked about hope so I'll answer yeah. the question of hope is on the horizon. I just hope that the, you know, people, I have faith, I have great faith in people to come to, to, and there, I have great faith in people's like, I think at the end of the day, like everybody wants some of those, like the similar things, like, you know, a loving family, three meals a day, like they want to have joy, like, and I don't believe that the polarization online, two people can go scream at them, scream at each other online, but when they're out in public, like they might not even talk about it and they'll get along just fine. You know, like it's not that bad yet. So I have hope that that stuff, people start to wake up to that. I also think that we just had a, I think that Trump has taken this country on such a roller coaster ride of like, you know, emotional, like, like, he, like he's occupied so much mind share and he's done so many things that like yeah. make people outraged and all this. I have a feeling that we'll come through the other side where that, yeah. where, where people, where there's like the pendulum will swing and people will say like, all right, let's go clap. Like, let, let's, let's clean this shit up. Yeah. Let's not let the platforms take such control over our lives. Let's not let 
you know, some of the these rulers, these these elected officials, like become rulers in the way that they have, and let's not have to mess with our emotions like they have. Yeah. So I'm actually hopeful. I'll I'll shut up because I don't no. know if that's no, that's probably too much. You actually uh, managed to respond to like a rather long monologue filled with several questions, and and I'll tell you where my hope comes from. It's sort of like, and it leads to a question for you about Boston now, today. You're in Boston today. We're in East Boston here. Uh, my hope comes from being in a, a much changed Boston just since when I graduated from BU in 2007. Like it's yeah. super. Um, it's 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 diverse. There's like it, there's there's a lot of optimism in the city. There's a lot of um, a lot of kindness. A lot of um, a lot of mentorship. There's a lot of social impact programs. Uh, it just, I, like, there's a lot of, um, seems to be a, a lot less crime. Um, so I'm optimistic at the physical world reminding me it's not all bad in spite of how fucking bizarre it is in the digital world and how fractured it's become and yeah. how many problems we have to fix there. Um, but what's it like in 2019 being in Boston? Jeez, 25 years Op- later. Yeah. Optimism is, yeah. yeah, people look, I agree. And I think, let me just say this, like I might be talking shit about Trump, but I actually think that like the thing that I is true is that he's saying what people feel and we got to yeah. acknowledge that. And there's a lot of stuff that, that, yeah, it wouldn't resonate if people didn't feel it. Yeah, like he wouldn't be holding his approval yeah. ratings despite like yeah. 21 sexual allegations if it, if he wasn't really speaking a true chord to people. And there's probably plenty of people I grew up with that where what is being said is like it resonates because they feel like they've gotten a bum deal. And so I think that like there and, – and also like the economy is doing – doing great and it has been since obama took office basically since after the first after the collapse in 08 so america's in a good place i think in a lot of ways too and we forget that because the way that the because of the dialogue and the divisiveness and all that politically but to answer your question about boston oh man like i think it's like it's such a beautiful place like what what has happened here the revival of boston Boston has always had a pride about it. Like it's a, it's a city of fighters. It's a city of people that I love. I love that about Boston. Like you're not going to keep Boston down. You're not going to keep. And so even if it was hard when I was young, like it was still strong and it was still like a, an enormous sense of pride for me as I was talking about before when I met you. Yeah. Enormous sense of pride. Like people here are, are like amazing. And so coming back when I, you know, come back to visit and all that, like I'm actually reminded of like, so much of what I perceived was just like where I was in life and had nothing to do with the way things actually are, you know, that's often the case. And I think I'm like taken back by seaport and I'm taken back by like organic stores and, and in going forward in the future, to my point about the pendulum swinging, humans, they, they will adapt eventually. Like, and young people, for instance, are always kind of seemingly making things a little bit better, a little bit brighter. So like your generation and my generation have like peeled back layers of bullshit and like made things better. And like, you, you, you know, you, you see like all these like 
a revival of mom and pop stores, a revival of artisanal this and that. And like, that's, that's based on demand. And that's based on demand from people who are like, no, 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 no. I value KO pies. Yeah. I value that. That guy came up with an idea. It's, it's unique. He put his heart, he put his life into it. I value it. I'm going to pay my money for that. And so I actually think that like, you know, long-term, I think that my greatest hope is that we just wake up enough to start making the hard decisions to fight climate change. I'm not really worried about like, you know, left and right getting along as much. Cause I think ultimately like people, yeah. are, people are people and, and they're always going to bicker and it doesn't matter. Like that's fine. But yeah. I, I, my hope is just that the young generation, the younger generations as they take more control and have more awareness and see all the disasters happening with the climate that like there's a mass mobilization towards green tech yeah. there's a mass mobile and all this AI that's coming around and all this amazing technology that's coming around that we just point those, we weaponize those things against the things that are hurting our existence mm-hmm. and not against each other and not in, you know, and we use it in a way that's like we use AI technologies and our ability to influence people to educate people yeah. we use our uh, ai technologies to catch diseases before they spread yeah we use them to you know in healthcare yeah. like so i'm, I'm optimistic yeah, yeah, about yeah. That, that and that's cool i mean you just hit on a few things that are like topics that have come up on the podcast like wade roche who used to be the executive editor of Exconomy, and he has this podcast soonish and he's like studying like tech like historically he he studied at Harvard College, like te- like technology and innovate like innovations over time, like their impact on culture. And he's been like, studying that a lot now. And he's a big believer of, like, while no one, not everyone, has to understand all the mechanics of machine learning. Like at the end of the day, like humans will make decisions impacting how machine learning and artificial intelligence impacts humanity, as an example, or a blockchain. So he does. He spends all his time on his podcast, like unpacking those topics like a bit more for the layman and laywoman to sort of understand um you know understand those things and understand like there's a bit more in our control and then things can be a bit more optimistic than like oh like the world's being automated what am i going to do it's yeah. like oh you can actually make sense of this um to your point about green tech it has this podcast hasn't come out yet but we talked to uh deirdre santorelli as i, t- I told you offline and heads up the entrepreneurship school at, at Endicott and one, one of her former students oversees um, green town labs, which is a, which is a green and clean tech incubator in union square and Somerville my, near my old stomping grounds. I love Somerville. Uh, there's a lot, there's actually a, a pretty strong sort of green and clean tech community here. There's been some interesting exits. And so there's like a lot of hope there. And then to your point about the next generation, your son is flying into I know, to Boston tonight. We have to make sure that we uh, we get him at the airport. He's he's got a bit of a, a delay, but you know, talk, you know, talk about thing, <laughs> talk about things you, you put. I got, got twenty four yeah. text messages, and I got the last the one on top. I see is my wife saying to my son, "He's on he's on a plane texting me. Maybe stop texting dad emojis since he's working." And then it says twenty four more messages. <laughs> I'm sure he's sending me unicorns. Right? God bless him. Um, so yeah, that, man. That, I look, I, yeah. I, I, let me just say this. Yeah, like, yeah. I think people ultimately are amazing. And I think people ultimately are 
we're all on this planet, like having an experience in a, in, 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 and I'm going to get philosophical for a second, but like humans have only been around how many years? And like, everyone says, Oh, I'm going to destroy the planet. It's like, no, you're not. You're just going to like maybe kill the species or whatever, but like the world, the universe is, it's amazing. And like, at some point we're going to hit a place where there's as many people on earth, God willing, as have ever lived before. Yeah. And I think that like, Everybody has this, like, there's a lot more that kind of unites people. And it's it's generally the sense of, like, desire to have joy, to have a laugh, to have fun. It's desire to, to have peace in and around their lives. It's, you know, and it's, and it's a desire to connect with other people. And I think all those things, when given the right obstacle, make, it, make everything possible. And I right. think that, like what I'd love to see more of is like optimism starting to win the discourse rather than yeah. divisiveness. And, you know, and I think that like America as a country is turning into a much more div- div- uh, diverse population. And I think ultimately, like when I was in high school, I ordered um, a brother ox had ran this around the store and he had, he had, I asked him if he could order me a flag. And he was like, oh, you want a flag of America? I was like, no, I want a flag of the world. And he ordered me the UN flag, which is Earth. And so I've always kind of thought about, like, with globalization, like, we're so connected that, like, I actually think that we're not too far away from – I'm optimistic that we're – we're right now there actually is a fair amount of, like – collaboration between state nation states. Yeah. There's war and there's oppression and there's – absolutely terrible things happening with like Saudi Arabia buying all the food in Guatemala. And you know, like there's some crazy shit happening. I'm not saying that and that, that's not going to go away, but like, I feel like we're edging ever the, the knowledge, everybody on the planet soon enough is going to have the basic understanding that we are all connected. Yeah. And that's still happening. And if you look at like the wars that were fought, that have been fought, like with, um, you know, the Muslim Christians and, a lot of the people in uh, the Middle East, like, you know, those roads are just getting paved. Yeah. They're only a couple of generations off of camels. I'm not yeah. saying all of them. Tehran is, they all have ancient civilizations. They've been operating with deep intelligence and knowledge forever. But like at a certain point when everybody on the planet is, or when the vast majority of the planet feels connected to the earth, I think then you're going to see more of a, um, you'll see more cooperation between nation states. And, and yeah. It, Maybe I'm off on a limb. No, you're, you're, well, you're hitting, you got, you just kind of describe why I, I do, I have grown, like, I, I, too, I really appreciate Hub Week's mission. Like, in, in some ways, like, so, you know, Hub Week was founded by most, you know, Brendan Ryan, founding executive director, was the former chief of staff at Deval Patrick. A lot of that Deval Patrick team sort of, like, helped found Hub Week. And, you know, one of the things they accomplished when they were with Deval Patrick as governor, they added like eight or nine international flights into Boston. And it was like a very big, you know, Deval Patrick was all about generational responsibility. And part of that generational responsibility was like Boston vis-a-vis the world. Right. And like, just like collaborative with the world and, and, and whatnot. And so I think that there's something special that is happening here. Now what, now with that, you know, as a media producer, I've also identified Far too few people even know what Hub Week is. Probably most of the people listen to this podcast, which is also why I've 
trying to think recently of ways to get this podcast to like the chamber of commerce and like these disparate communities around the state to be like, Hey, like you give this to young people and just people, you know, community in general and let them know these things exist. Right. Because 60,000 people attend hub week. People come from all around the world. People come from like adjacent communities around Boston, but like you go out to Methuen, Lawrence, like where I'm from, people don't know what the fuck yeah. Hub Week is. Yeah, there's a hubcap joke in there. <laughs> you know, if you were to tell, to go back to my love of Boston, if you were to tell, but it's a storytelling problem, which you, is what which is what we're trying yeah. to accomplish. Here. But if you if you were to say, think about Boston like in fairy tale terms, very simple. There's this great big planet, and there's people from all over the world and all these different cultures, uh, and all this knowledge exists in these, you know, and everybody has their 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 ways of life and everybody has there's all these cities and it's, it's really only 24,000 miles around the story of Boston in that in that context is like and then on this one place in the world where people all come to enrich themselves with knowledge and there's how, how many hundreds of universities yeah. and how many tens and hundreds of thousands of people yeah. From all around the world. One in four people is a student here. in the city during school Yeah, they school come year. here. Yeah. And they come here to learn. Yeah. And they come here to meet and, and get exposed to other people. And so I think that, like, Boston doesn't get... Boston's like, oh, it's a college town. But, like, if you really stop and think about, like, what that means, like, there's literally... This literally... The, the university systems that are all around here, like, it's literally a town full of people whose minds are going like we were talking about earlier. And so that's why I think there's such a wonderful opportunity here in this town to come up with, I'm not kidding you, like things that can solve the world's problems. And like when I worked in DC, I was so enamored by that too, because I'm like, wow, there's also a place all over the world where people come and try to work on problems specific to resources and resource allocation and defense and government and it's in dc and I, I i when i went i was so like i had i had sort of my boston chip on my shoulder like ah oh, there's all that's a man i'm gonna go in there yeah. and these people don't know what's going on i was such an asshole i was and then but i actually realized like and i thought like oh it's all corrupt and all these people are assholes i was the asshole i realized person after person after person is giving their life to figure out how to get water in Africa, how to, you know, how to, how to calm down a, an uprising in another country, how to, you know, how to like, bring food access to people in poverty. That's yeah, one of our recent discussions. Like the world's it's problems. Like over and over. And so, yeah. and, so I love that town. And you're right. I love this town for that similar it, reason. Right on. Yeah. And, you know, the, obviously Boston does it through the land of like, hey, let's keep shining a light over and over on just like the innovation economy. And I remember... Uh, talking to Lucy Maffei before she moved over to Boston Business Journal and and she made a really interesting point that I loved and she was like at one point in time like maybe someone gave like maybe questioned like Boston no covering really early stage companies that hadn't proven out their models yet but they're very aspirational optimistic models and she said it's really valuable and I couldn't agree with her more she's like it's so valuable she said it with her you know in, in her beautiful Italian accent she's like it's so valuable to share those one. ideas with the world and it really is. And 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 if if it's my my knock on Boston or my challenge to Boston is to like the mainstream media right. to like figure out there's all these ways people consume content, as we know, as we really geek out on. It's all these streaming platforms, it's like this there's the web, there's 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 social media. 
can there not be some more like more programming around all those big ideas yeah and you know just more ancillary content it doesn't have to be like the program news at 5 p.m although that would be nice but when you actually think about by and large what people are consuming right. on their televisions locally, it's not that like there's a ton of people solving the world's problems right here. Right. And right. it's like there's like smart, wonderful people yeah. at a few places covering that. That's I and that's 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 the problem that And that's that, why things like fake news resonate. Yeah. Because you're like, hold on, you're gonna literally spend time talking about this like child molestation case when like literally five blocks away, not to yeah. diminish that, but yeah. do people need to know that yeah. that happened? I don't think so. Yeah. Like you're just speaking at a low vibration yeah. when like a mile away, a couple blocks away, there's like scientists at MIT that are like unlocking quantum mechanics and yeah. changing the way we think about space and time. Yeah. What the fuck is more important for people to know what's yeah. going on? You know what I mean? So like, yeah. I like, yeah. I, yeah, that, that, that always yeah. kind of bothered me. And so that, that, it, the internet is wonderful for that reason because if you give a shit about quantum mechanics and what's happening a few blocks away, it's there. You can you. find it. Yeah. But you know, and it's like Sebastian, the comedian, uh, his his whole segment about like it used to be these people in their basement would like have their own like they'd have the, they'd be stuck in their basement with shame and a fetish because they they like dressing up like panda bears and like I don't know playing Yahtzee or whatever. And he's like, and now. On Route 1, because of the internet, you go down on Route 1 and at, at a Motel 6, there's like 500 of these people all getting together playing Yahtzee and Panda Bear suits. That's not the exact analogy, yeah, yeah. but like people can... Yeah. Birds of a feather... Find can, a tribe. Birds of a feather can flock together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like to your point about Boston, uh, the innovation of Boston and that getting its due, like, you know, I don't know what... I think it comes down to supply and demand. And I think that this, the, one of the great tragedies is the fact that People like if you look at like what works on television, it's crime dramas. It's people can't help turn that part of the brain off, and they're not going to. And so it's almost like the news or media. If you're listening right now, you know challenge you, but and you're in the you're in the media. How do you make something that's important for the world feel like a crime drama? Like, yeah. like, should we should we stop everything right now? Yeah, and pivot fabric into a company that does um, that does episodic content about major issues in like, but like with like cliffhanger narratives driving through the whole thing, and then at the end you're like, wait a second, I just watched that crime drama, and it, and it was, but it, it was really about like, you know, recycling yeah I don't know. like uh, and I, so i do think that there's like some yeah. fairly, reducing my carbon footprint <laughs> yeah there's some fairly major yeah. like uh there's some byproducts of humanity you can't yeah. stop people from wanting sex you can't and you shouldn't you can't stop people from finding uh finding pleasure in crime mysteries and you shouldn't you can't you know it's not about stopping people but it's about like can you help with new generations raise the interest level and the value level that people get from more inspirational content, more educational yeah. content. And I don't know, maybe I'm naive. I don't know if they can do it, but I think that's part of the yeah, I think, yeah. challenge we're working on yeah. together. It's like, yeah, right on. And that's like why, you know, like Wendy films is an interesting like collaborator because they've done such big, such impactful, um, like social good, like storytelling about businesses focused on social good, social impact, like the stuff they're doing with Planned Parenthood, like, just like they have a mission driven mindset and they work with companies that are looking to have 
positive social impact on the, on the world. There's a book. If you're, if anybody's still listening to this besides me and you, um, there's a book, uh, called blessed unrest, blessed unrest. And it's about the, it's, it's actually wonderful because he lays out the thesis, which is totally true, which is there have never, ever in the history of humanity been more people organizing in smaller cluster in clusters throughout the planet attacking issues and it's basically like think of how many freaking nonprofits there are yeah and you it doesn't take much yeah. it takes a few people to make an impact yeah and i think the central thesis is like if we could somehow harness all that and focus it we might have a better do a better job like yeah there are like there are like 26 uh, nonprofits dedicated to people who like bite their nails too much. Yeah. There's 20, you know, like, yeah. could they all just form one coalition and probably have better impact? I don't know. Yeah. Is it better? Like, so, so, you know, I don't discount, like, if you're working on something small, that's still really valuable and has a bigger impact. And, and, and even if you feel like it's, you know, oh, well, we only impact this many people and it feels lonely or whatever, it's like, you don't have to like take over the world, but if you're doing something in your community, like your fresh truck guys, yeah. like the windy guys, yeah. like teachers, yeah. that, just teaching children, yeah. like that's how change happens anyway. It's in little, it, yeah. you know, it's all, and that's to the point about media. It's like mass media can manipulate people's, you know, you can spread a message really fast. You can also change people's mindset really fast, but ultimately to bring it full circle to what we're talking about, getting together with other people, Changing ideas, reaffirming positive things that you guys are doing to, in, in, to help make the world a better place in your own small way has a real big impact on everybody. And they go back to the communities where exactly. they're the only person. And, and, and so I think that's the net. And I'm sorry to jump over you, but that's no. actually the net, one of the next things at some point we'll, we need to activate around Boston Speaks Up because there's a lot of intersectionality going on here, right? There's, there's like Marty Fuller creating change in you know Roxbury at the Dearborn STEM Academy and there's uh, Clement Cazalot like prop you know managing director of Techstars and there's the, the there's Hub Week and there's you know on and on and on there's like people from all over the North Shore right. like uh, solving yeah. problems like working with children right and then if and then so physically bringing like even just the community of people who have been on this podcast in a room yeah. and like and being like, great. So what we've learned is this. Yeah. And here, and we were talking about this a little bit before what you could do in LA with your network yeah. in LA. And and also we're going to identify or showcase this one framework we've uncovered that we want everyone to take back. This is a framework that Marty and, Bo and Boston Public Schools yeah. have used, which is true, right? So to build connective tissue with the tech-driven Boston labor market. They're doing these things with Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. And you go and you give that to all the schools and chambers of commerce across the state and you say here you go here's a framework right and you or, and you go and you right. and you and you give that to all these seemingly disparate communities and all of a sudden there's some like there's some yeah. buoyancy there all right cool all right we're up another level we just went from 101 yeah. to 201 level and we've we we don't say we haven't solved education or some of the education problems in maybe some of these communities but hey we all have a framework that's working towards right. something cool Next time we get together, let's talk about food access and parts of the state and areas where families just don't have access to like fresh produce 
And here's the frameworks and ways that they can, which is where Fresh Truck's going, is to create frameworks right. and abilities to, it's not just reliant on their, their like call it their brick and mortar, their truck business, but actual business to work with local healthcare yep. facilities to help subsidize the cost of fresh produce and and provide yeah. fresh produce access to pe people yeah. and kids who otherwise don't have and, access. And the, I think what we're talking about is like, not to contradict ourselves. Like there's a lot of good that's going on. Like there's yeah, not, yeah. you know, I'm not saying that there's a lot of bad, but to go back to the point of the media and the mass, like people like making popularizing things that are good and, and all the good that's happening. Like I, th I almost feel like you need to do it in a way that's makes it so it's more appealing to a mass market audience. Like, yeah. The whole idea of like do good stories, like they just don't perform in ratings. Yeah. But I wonder if you took a different approach to it where it's like Tosh.0? Oh. Yeah, like Tosh.0, oh, like, yeah. like a show that's <laughs> yeah. like kind of run. Well, through. like Was, literally, like we should do a show called Well Done Motherfucker. <laughs> and it's like, look at this motherfucker. What are you doing? You feed me. Like, and, yeah. like imagine Snoop Dogg did a show like that or whatever. Yeah. It might be more entertaining. Yeah. Where it's character. like, it's positive yeah. story. People yeah. love tearjerkers. Yeah. But, you know, there's a real formula. There's an actual formula, emotional formula in towards narrative where yeah. pain, you know, overcoming pain, yeah. uh, you know, like you're, you're, you know, you get the problem set up. And you get to the point where you think it's going to be resolved and then it gets taken away and you, your, your stomach drops and then it comes back. There's a, it, it's literally a movie formula and I'll throw it all, all like Stash and those guys are taking the class who's telling me about it. Like it's, it's just true, right? Yeah. And so there's this whole formula to it. Maybe the thing that would help, I think what we're talking about is like how do you help all these guys yeah. and gals? How do you help the whole thing up level? And yeah. to your point – Knowledge sharing, framework sharing is great. Putting funnels in, taking the learnings out, giving them back out. There's plenty of that work happening right now. I'm obsessed with how, and, and what we're talking about now is how do we popularize this more? Yeah. How do you make it cooler to spend your life doing work that's actually Im improves the world around you? How do you set up, how do you make that the cool thing to do? And I think quite naturally. Yeah because of the looming crisis in climate because of the 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 like divisiveness in politics quite naturally i think you have this generation coming up that if they can get over their phone addictions yeah if they can not become zombies to fortnite and shit which is not uh, like everyone had video games i'm not judging but if they can get awake enough to come into the real world and and like i think they'll be some more solution based. And I think even yeah. not even saying, sorry, I want to take back to Fortnite thing. That's only like, there's, I guess I have an issue to pick with like how easy it is to let your children, like how many children get lost inside these electronically digital rabbit holes, digital <laughs> rabbit holes. And I think that's a whole other yeah. can of wax, yeah. ball of wax, can of worms. Uh, but if you can go, and look at society now. I think that that's why we that's why we are where we are now. Yeah. I think more generations come up, and I think it is getting cooler to be conscious. It is getting. Yeah. I never thought of my. I was such a fucking weirdo. 
in when I was in Boston and I would be like talking about when I had my earth flag. Yeah. People so, are like, you're a freak. So, yeah. And I'd be like, oh, we should, you know, recycling should be yeah. important. Like, there's going to be plastic everywhere yeah. one day. And now people are like, yeah. now like some of my like toughest friends in Boston are like, you can recycle that motherfucker. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they, they, they get it. So, so I, this hope springs eternal. Yeah. You, you know, you, you just triggered this other thought and, and I have a couple other things I want to kind of like wrap on and, and God, God bless you, you all. We're setting a God bless, podcast. We have yeah, two God, God bless you all who are, who are still here. Um, this, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm recalling like the, the social study, the social media studies that have been done. Um, and, or, or I guess it was a survey that came out recently. I'm trying to remember what it was. But it basically said that young people are highly likely to um, – their affinity to brands is, is such it, – it, it's such that if they feel that there is a strong social impact mission and right. like tied to them, then they're, they're, they'll have affinity to that brand. But if another brand comes along in that category that has a more compelling like social impact narrative, like they – They'll switch. They would switch, right? right? And I bring that up because – could like seventy billion dollar TV ad market, right? Is that what yep. that that's what the total addressable market is for TV advertising? Three hundred billion dollar ad market. Three hundred seventy billion, in television. Seventy in televisions. Three hundred billion total. And so think about all and more and more like me. You know, there you have all these D D to C direct to consumer brands. Tons of brands are investing tons of money in storytelling, and. You hear something like a stat like that and should not like almost all brands, regardless of what their products are, should they not take the opportunity when they're going to interrupt you in a news feed or you watching a show, whether it's on linear TV or you're streaming it on whatever, should they not take that opportunity to share an important cause that they want, like that they're essentially underwriting to give the opportunity for yeah. people to be impressed upon with their message. Oh, have I told you my idea about polar bears? No. Oh, Let's do it. I'm going to drop it right now. So Polar Bears International, look them up, polarbearsinternational.org. Since you're talking about what actually, I'm going to endorse them right now. Polar Bears International, you know, they're, they're in the forefront of, as you know, you went up there, you saw the bears, yeah. saw the ice. Sad freaking story. Southernmost population of polar bears in the world, slowly dying off every year. And polar bears coming off the ice early are starting to attack. Like it's gotten worse. They're attacking local locals. All if you live on the banks of the Hudson or you live on a coastal town, we're talking like Churchill, Manitoba, Churchill, and like all yeah. but all the way up all like the way, to yeah. Narrate and yeah. like all the way through that whole bay, and then in Alaska. Basically, like if you live if you live where there's sea ice out on the water, which is actually like. There's a lot of land there. You got some hangry polar bears. They're coming off. They're, they're attacking people, or whatever. And so these guys are the foremost experts in polar bears. Foremost expert in in sea ice. They work with. There's such a good confluence of people who care about climate change and support. They support them and what, and, and what they do, education issues, whatever. And I'm like, but you know, one of the greatest assets is like it's the bears. People love bears. People polar bears are freaking. In person, they're scary as, yes. as all get out, but yeah. right, like when they're, they're huge, they're huge, yeah. scary. Right? Yeah. That was amazing, yeah. But like, but the image of a, I call him a polar bear, it's cute, yeah. Milo would like that, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm like, why don't you have a polar bear seal of approval and go out and we'll market it to brands everywhere 
And if you're compliant with environmental regulations, you get a gold polar bear. And if you're working your way there, you get a green polar bear or whatever, or you get a white polar bear. But like, point is like, for companies that have have made commitments and are adhering to them, it's like a polar bear seal of approval. This brand is polar bear certified. Why not? We got freaking... It's yeah. gluten free, yeah. and I go, and yeah. it's so hard now when I go shopping because I'm like, I'm like, I want to be conscious shopper. I know plenty of people feel this way too. You want to help the world, and then you're like, ah, yeah. oh, but all I got is Pellegrino yeah. and plastic. Like, what am yeah. I? I'm thirsty as hell. I'm. Yeah. I go shopping, and I'm like, okay, I want it to be organic. I want it to be gluten free. I want it to be local. I want, and I'm like, and don't give me plastic bags. And I'm don't give me. Yeah. Bag, no bag. You know, I have yeah. a bag yeah. problem. I actually saved so much. So does Lucy. Lucy Maffei talked about that. How she's like, she went to the grocery store and she moved to the States. And she's like, not only did they give me one, they gave me two plastic bags. I'm like, I don't, I don't need all this plastic. You don't need bags. <laughs> if you just make a pledge not to take, I made a pledge not to take bags like 10 years ago. And sometimes I look like an idiot walking out of the grocery store with like 17 things, but I don't really give a shit. I, I think, but all bags. That's a great Any idea bags, for people. There's so many ways you can waste yeah. if you just take, but the polar bear seal of approval. You know, you look. People are now trained to look for these tags. Yeah. There's no environment tag. There's no way to go like, yeah, but did you, did you like pour through? Like, did you like waste a shit ton of water? Did you pollute? Are you do? Are you are you thinking about the carbon output in the process of creating this food? Are you doing anything proactive to make it better? There's nothing that you can read that's like, yes, I care, and I'm trying to solve that issue. So it's like, all right. There's tags and people pay a premium because they're like, I don't want genetically modified, I want organic. Respect. There's tags that are like, I want it to be gluten free. And I know I know a lot of the there's a lot of problems with gluten because of like the way modern farming happens in monocultures, whatever, fine. Respect. But like I want to make my primary deciding factor is a polar bear face on my food. Because if it's a polar is it yeah. is it sustainably harvested? Is it environment is this company working towards environmental sustainability if they are like i'm buying and you know what even if they're not organic like i have to make the decision i'm like you know what i don't give a shit these guys are using recycled uh, that to me is a higher value so i want to do that so i've been like how do we make that happen for polar bears international i would love that's an open brain cool yeah. I told them about it and they're like, oh God, we have so many things going on. How do we make this happen? I'm like, I want this. I yeah. Want this cool. That's cool. It becomes like a social currency too. Like it becomes so, like you you have a house party and people come into your home and like, it's like, got to make sure you have the products with the polar bear stamp of approval. You can just see it. Yeah. You oh, yeah, can I just can see, see it. it. It just I can seems, see it, it would just work. Yeah. So with your son coming into town tonight, what are you guys going to get into this weekend? We're going to go uh, see my great aunt, Lee, Adelia, um, out in Norwood, and uh, my cousins, and my great aunts, and my uncle, and uh, I don't know. We're just going to hang, man. He wants to go, he wants to go to Newberry Comics. He wants to go to Newberry Comics. Yeah, he wants to okay. go get some manga, um, which is like a Japanese comic. What's the top, like, favorite kind of borough, part of Boston that you guys, he likes to go to? Yeah. He loves... Uh, he loves downtown. He loves um, Copley. He loves uh, from Newbury Street. He loves um, the the park. He loves North End, of course. Like, yeah. He Rio was really happy that we're Italian. 
and he's really happy because he likes to act like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> nice. Like when I introduced him to, uh, we saw Mike D from the Beastie Boys at our farmer's market. And like, I don't know why, but Rio was like, how you doing? I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? What are you doing, Rio? Is that who you are? Yeah. Anyway, um, I know we've been going on long. How, yeah. is it, are we setting a record? We probably will. We'll probably set a solid. We'll set a solid record. Anybody um, who knows me and you is like no shocker. Yeah, yeah. You, we got. We're going to this Bostino. Yeah, Bostino, we're gonna go to the right? Bostino uh, Summerfest tonight. They're gonna announce winners for the sort of top startups in Boston. So nice. let's catch a water taxi over. Yeah, you ready? Hey, thank you for yeah. for this, Zach. I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. what you're doing, and I appreciate. I, I didn't know. I didn't know we we're gonna go off on this tangent, but it was a fun ride, and uh, you know. Well, thank you for the time. Grateful for your your of support of Boss's Big Up, man, um, and love you, man. Oh, 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 oh,